up all night, breaking spinning plates. It's a new episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I am your host here. T.S. Eliot wrote, the only way to learn how many plates you can spin is to break some plates. The question of capacity guarantees failure. I was listening to the tune Up All Night by Counting Crows. I think it's from their Hard Candy album. Pretty sure. Do you like Counting Crows? Easily, easily, easily. Uh, my top five. Yeah, I'd put them in top five for sure. Love them. Have been listening to them for a number of hours here. Got up early playing Apple music and, uh, I don't know, probably listened to two or three hours of counting crows and was thinking about various and sundry things. And I'll forewarn you today's going to be kind of sorta a little bit of a scatter shoot but stay with me got a theme here and i'll tell you the theme is just too many irons in the fire and too much going on You can visit the website at leaningtowardwisdom.com. You'll find all kinds of ways that you can subscribe to the podcast. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott. I don't know who Jim is. He's no relation to TS that I'm aware of. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yes. It's one of those that you kind of have to read it a couple of times to to catch it. I like it. I will tell you straight up, I am not a plate spinner. And I'll define that for those of you that may be too young to understand. Just Google plate spinners, and you'll see some video in a bygone era of entertainers who would come on stage and you know, the goal was to spin a whole bunch of plates and keep them spinning at one time. And So a plate gets put on the end of a stick that is four feet, five feet tall, and they start spinning that plate. They get that plate spinning, and then they set the stick down. The plate is still spinning, and they move on, and they do it again. And they get that one going, and then they go back to the first one, and they kind of jiggle that stick to keep the plate spinning. And, you know, the object of the entertainment is, man, I wonder how many plates he can spin. And a guy gets up to six or seven or eight or more, and he's running frantically. He's just shaking these sticks to make sure the plates don't lose their balance and fall off and break. Plate spinners. I'm not a plate spinner, literally or metaphorically. I am able to, well, we call it multitasking. I will tell you straight up, it's not. It it certainly isn't for me. What it, what it is for me is it's really intense focus on a single thing with enough speed 
to get a number of things accomplished over a short period of time. And that makes it look like multitasking. It really, for me, boils down to focus. I am able with some intensity to focus on a thing and get that thing done. Now, sometimes that intensity requires just a short amount of time. And sometimes that intensity is required over a more prolonged period of time. There are times just like you that I can kind of get in what we call the groove or we can get in the flow and we just kind of lose track of time and we're able to really get some things done. Does that happen every day for me? It does not. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But I will tell you that I experience that weekly. And I think anybody who sets about to get some things done, I would hope that you can experience that every week. I've got friends who are avid to-do list kind of people. And I have, I've never really lived by a to-do list. Doesn't mean I don't take notes. It doesn't mean that I don't put things on the calendar. I absolutely live and die by the calendar. So it could be argued, well, your calendar is your to-do list. And I would tend to agree. It, it keeps me on track and it lets me know. And if it isn't on my calendar, quite frankly, it doesn't exist. Um, that isn't to say that things can't come up that can disturb the calendar. And I take care of those things. Of course, that happens. That happens every day. Uh, but I rely on that calendar, and it's not just because of age. I've always done that. So I've always relied on, even back in the analog days of pen and paper, I have relied on planners, but mostly for tasks that had a specific deadline so that I could make note of, okay, what, when is that deadline? So I wouldn't lose sight of that. But you know what I'm talking about. These numbered lists or these bullet point lists that people have and they look over and it's, it's just this list of things to do. I, I really have never done that. What I have been able to do from an early age is mentally process and keep track of those things and immediately just jump to, okay, what's next? What's the, what's the next thing that I most urgently need to get done? I'm not a person who I don't like things hanging over me. In fact, I, I abhor undone things. I abhor things that, okay, it's just, it's just kind of this nagging dark cloud that hangs over you. I do not like that feeling and I do everything I can to avoid that feeling. And the way that I do it is I jump on it and I handle it and move on. So for me, it looks like intense focus on this one thing, get this thing done, knock it out, move on. Now that looks very different from the plate spinner who is more like a squirrel or a cat chasing a laser pointer. It's just, it's frenetic nanosecond kind of focus. And it looks like a lot's getting done. But if you go back and you examine it at the end of a day or the end of a week or the end of a month, man, not nearly as much got done as even those people think. I mean, I've watched this. I have coached people through this. I have helped people quantify what they got done 
and then look back at it and realized, okay, you know, it's kind of like if you don't track what you eat and now you are asked to recite, well, what did you eat today? Oh, I, I didn't have much. I, you know, I had a sandwich and let's see, I had, you know, I had a bowl of cereal this morning and then you have them track it and they realize, man, I'm, I'm eating a whole lot. More. I'm eating a whole lot more than I thought I was eating. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. I I've seen it and I've, I've done that little exercise with way too many people to know what I'm talking about. I came up with this. It's not a methodology. I don't know what you would call it. I it was more of an illustration. Uh, when I was one of the very first people that I was trying to coach who I would describe this person as a, they were an avid plate spinner. They, they chased every car that came down the road and they barked their heads off. And then the next car came and they did the rinse and repeat. It was just absolutely maddening for a guy like me, but I tapped the brakes on that because my job was to help them. And I came up with an illustration that I just call start to finish. Well, actually, and initially it was named start to profit to, can we take, because this was a business. Can we take things from start to profit? It's very rare that we can come out of the gate profitable. If we're starting some kind of an enterprise or some kind of a new initiative, or we're offering a new service, not saying it can't be done, but we typically don't approach it that way. We approach it with, okay, we're going to have some costs and we're going to have some stuff that we're going to have to do on the front end just to get this thing going. And it's going to take us some period of time, maybe not very long at all, maybe a lot longer before we can turn profit in this thing. So can we take some activity from start to profit? I since renamed it because increasingly my work then morphed into helping city government leaders. And it's not so much an exercise in financial profit. It's an exercise in getting work done, getting work done efficiently, building high performance cultures and so forth. And so I kind of renamed it start to finish. Now it's not that finish is okay. We just dust off our hands and we're done. It's we take it to fruition. We may take it from an idea to implementation, to more refined execution, to bingo. We've hit the mother load. And as I was reciting this with this very first client years and years and years ago, and we were talking about you take a step in one direction. I drew a circle and I drew a dot in the center of it, and the dot in the center of it represented the start, and the outer circle represented the finish. So the distance between the center dot and the outer circle, I mean, it is what it is. Quantify it any way that you want to. But you take a step. Okay, that step takes you toward the outer circle. You take another step in the same direction. That takes you to the outer circle, to this X, this designated goal on the outer circle. Okay, now we stop because we've seen a new, we've, we, we see a new red dot over here. Somebody has shined a laser pointer over here in another direction. I'm going to go in that direction now. And we go in that direction for a couple of steps. And then, wait, wait, here's something else. And now we go in. Hopefully you see the picture. So at the time, my point with this client was 
the effort and the energy that you're putting into all of these plates that you're spinning, it's taking you in all of these different directions. The problem is, as we were examining this person's career and their ambitions, how many of these have you really taken to fruition? How many of these have you really, it was a business. How many of these have you taken from start to profit? And it turned out zero, zero. How close have you come? Do you think, I mean, come on, we're just having to guess because, well, we've never done it. (laughs) How many of these would you guess you could have taken if you would have eliminated some of these plates, if you would have dropped a few of these plates, let them hit the floor and break. Who cares? Because you've now got, you've still got a couple or maybe three plates still spinning successfully. And it, it had the desired effect in that he now understood how his own behaviors had sabotaged any potential he had to succeed and to make some of these things profitable. Uh, did it change anything? I, I'm sad to report eh, probably not much, but, you know, I can't listen. As a, as a guy who does this stuff for a living, I, I can't. I, it's not my place to live people's lives. It's not my place to make their choices for them. It's not my place to judge the choices that they make. It's my role to help them do what they say they want to do And I guess if you pull back even further and a bit more deeply, it's my goal to help them figure out what they want to do and how to do it. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it because it's not my life. I don't have a vote. I don't get to move the pieces on this chessboard that belong to them. I have my own life and my own pieces on the board to move. And so uh, but it was a learning experience, I think, for both of us, and, and I think it, it hopefully helped him some. But he he was one of those people that wanted to lean hard into just, you know, this is just kind of how, how I'm wired, which was interesting to me because this was what he wanted to accomplish. <laughs> so you want to do this, but you're wired in a way that you think is completely contrary to your ability to do this. Well, I I don't know about that. You know, he said, you, you see the conundrum here. Um, man, I got so many things on my mind because well, yeah, been up all night. So there's that. No, I haven't, haven't been up all night, but I've been up. I've been up a lot of the night, but I've been up a lot of the night lately. Yeah, it's just a lot going on. And this is the frustration I mean, I'm I'm a hopeless insomniac for sure, but I'm realizing that there is going to be value in breaking spinning plates because I don't like to spin plates. I don't want to spin plates. My personal belief and philosophy and conviction is spinning plates is a is a complete work in futility, and it doesn't scratch any itch that I have. And frankly, that's the only value that I have ever found in decades and decades of looking at this and thinking about this and and working with people who who suffer this. The only advantage that I can see is they just enjoy it. And you could say, well, I mean, isn't that worth the price of admission? I'm not sure uh, because I can talk to people 
well, let's just take the themes of this week. For me, th- weeks tend to have themes. I-, I used to think, well, I'm I'm creating this. This this has got to be some kind of cognitive bias in play here, where I've just got some preconceived ideas, and you know, I'm kind of making it. I'm kind of creating these themes just by my behavior and by my questions and by the conversations that I'm initiating. Uh, but I've looked at this really closely, especially over the last three years and have discovered, I, I don't think that's true. I'm not saying it can't, it can't happen every now and again, but it's almost like there's just been some universal convention that's been held. And we're like, okay, this week, these are going to be the things that we're going to talk to Randy about. Now I know there hasn't been such a convention, uh, but it's interesting to me this week's themes have been self-control or self-regulation that I'd put that at the forefront. And this has been manifested in the struggles that people have, have come to me with, uh, porn addictions, marital infidelity, uh, not necessarily their own, by the way, alcohol and not necessarily their own work workaholic type behavior, parenting, unruly kids, loneliness. Yeah. I mean a whole lot more, but I would put them all under the, under the banner of, of self-control, self-regulation, you know, deeply personal kinds of things. Now that almost always tends to be in play, but I would say the second theme of the week has been capacity and resources that I would sum up in one question, and that is, what's our limit? There's little doubt that we we sometimes think our limits are shorter than they truly are. Sometimes we can be overconfident, and we can think our limits are way greater than they are. And figuring that out can be really, really hard. It's that whole know thyself kind of a thing. Congruency, this is almost always in play, by the way. You know, this frustration in hearing people, quite often bosses, say one thing but then do something completely different, preach one message, and then not absolutely not practice that message. And then I would say the fourth one is figuring out or actually failing to figure out how or where we fit. And in many cases, it's, well, you know, I I, I once knew how I fit and I once knew where I fit, but now I've got this new role and I I don't know how I fit anymore or the role hasn't changed, but maybe circumstances in the organization have changed. Maybe leadership has changed. Maybe any number of things could have factored into this change. And all of a sudden now I'm, I'm not, I really don't think I understand why or how I'm making any difference. And the big, big elephant in the room is wondering if we are wondering, am I making any difference? And it can be frustrating, especially for people that are high performers. And as I've looked at that and I've looked at my own life and I've looked at the own, my own plate spinning madness, because I f- f- truly admit right now, I have got too many irons in the fire. I, got, I just got way too many irons in the fire. Not all professional, many of them personal. And so what I'm doing right now, and maybe this is helpful to you, maybe not, you can decide, is I'm looking at 
I'm not just looking at what I can control. You know, we, we can get fixated on, well, you can only control what you can control. Well, that's true enough, but can we make sure that for me, it's not so much about control as it is influence. What are the things that, that I can influence? And I couldn't tell you the last time that I came up with an answer of nothing. I, I there Here's something, and I can't influence anything about that. And it's not arrogance on my part, and it's not conceit, and it certainly isn't me thinking, well, my, aren't you all that and then some. It's just circumstances can happen. I mean, let's let's take for many people what would be the ultimate. Two, it could be health or it could be death. And we think, well, I can't control either of these. But what if we lose that word control and we change it to influence? Can I influence either one of these? Well, I may not be able to influence the outcome, but I can influence what I do with this new information, with this new circumstance. If it's somebody that I love and their health, or if it's my own, okay, what am I going to do? I clearly have choices. There's any number of things that I can do. I can go to bed and I can pull the covers over my head and I can just say, that's it. I could do my very best to try to maintain some outlook. And for me, what I think that would be, what I hope and pray that would be is where's the benefit, where's the gain, not just for me, but for anybody around me. And that would be true for death as well. No, can't change the circumstance, perhaps. If there's a death, if I suffer a death in the family, nothing I'm going to be able to do to bring them back. I've lost very, very close friends. I, I can't do anything. But I can influence how I react to that event and how it impacted my life. And I can embrace gratitude that I had the relationship, that they were a meaningful part of my life, and hopefully I had some meaning in their life, and be thankful for whatever journey and whatever we time, time we had together on the journey. And I can make up my mind to leverage all of that for the future. Or I can pine and I can go on this quest of endless grieving. That's all up to me. I get to make that choice. And here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, the objective clearly is to lean hard toward wisdom. And let's lean hard away from our own foolishness. And I have incessantly defined wisdom as getting it right in real time. Because 2020 hindsight, any idiot can pull that off. But in this moment, in this moment of grief, in this moment of sorrow, in this moment of overwhelming loneliness, can we get it right in real time? Hopefully, we're working to do that more and more and more. Are we always going to get it right in real time? No, because you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. And we're going to miss an awful lot. We're going to strike out probably way more than we hit one over the fence. But we don't need to be perfect to improve our life. We don't need to be perfect 
to get it better. We don't need it perfect for us to grow every day and incrementally get better. So let's talk about plate spinning and I'll use myself because, well, I don't want to talk about you. I mean that in a negative way. You know, I'm willing to talk about you if there's something to, Hey, let's gloat about something. Let's do it. But you know what I mean? I don't want to, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm going to pick on me. And hopefully by picking on me, you can apply these things if they fit in your life and figure some things out. Cause that really is the goal here. We are all just trying to figure this out. And anybody that tells you any author, any thought leader, I'm holding up air quotes that tells you they've got the answer. They're liars. They're charlatans. You have to figure this out. Can other people help you? Yes. Other people can help. They can provoke us to think and they can provoke us to consider some things and they can give us perspectives and they can ask us questions that maybe we'd never considered. And they can question maybe the answers that we thought we were, they were just, it's a lock. I know the answer. Okay. Well, what if you're wrong? And so other people can help us with all of those things. But at the end of the day, sitting before you is this metaphorical chessboard and you have the pieces that you are going to move and you get to move them. You get to put your hands on them and move them wherever you want, whenever you want. I can't move yours because I'm busy trying to move my own. Now, unlike chess, where there's a winner and a loser in this game, this whole game of life, you and all the people that you influence, you can, everybody can win. Will they? No. But can we live our lives in a way that can make sure that, well, they're not going to lose because of me. I'm going to do everything I can to be a good influence and to help profit them in their life. And if they make a choice that is counter to what is in their best interest, what am I going to do? Try to control their life? Try to manipulate them into doing what I no is in their best interest or what I think is in their best interest. I mean, take, I mean, some of the things that I've, I've had to confront this week to help clients through alcoholism in the family, alcoholism, even in the workplace, not the person I'm speaking with, by the way, not the person I'm, I'm talking, but you know, this as Barney Fife would say, this compulsion to try to save someone from this horrible behavior and this horrible, okay, admittedly, disease. But I've said before, and I'll maintain it until somebody convinces me otherwise, the choice to take the drink is a choice. The way your body physically reacts to that drink after you take the drink, okay, alcoholism, disease. So don't take the first drink. Well, but I can't resist, you know, because I'm an alcoholic. It's a disease. I, I just refuse to believe, I don't believe in human helplessness and I don't believe in humans just embracing trauma and being a victim in their life, but that's me. You do you. So as I'm moving these chess pieces, I realize I, I've got too much on my plate here. I got too many plates in the air and some of these plates that I've got in the air, I, I I don't even know how they got in the air to begin with because I, I didn't necessarily want to spin this plate to begin with. Now I've had a lot going on over the last number of years, but 
the last number of years have only been different in, well, they've been different in a few ways. Uh, we, we had a big event that was a devastating event. That was a personal family event followed by Rhonda and, and I hitting this age, this magical full retirement age of 65. And then people assuming, oh, well, how are you enjoying retirement? I, I'm a broken record. I'm like, well, we're not retired. We're, we are collecting Social Security, but we're not retired. We hit 65, which means, A, we qualified for Medicare, and we hit 66 and a half, which was full retirement age. And so those were two big milestones that we crossed over the last five years. Well, and, and two of those in the last year and a half. And those are big. I mean, these are, these are, these are life changing kind of events. And so those three things coupled with selling the house and moving and splitting time and juggling this, okay, we're, we're basically going to live in two places. Have never done that before. But like I told somebody jokingly the other day, but I've, I've never been 66 before, but here I am. So all of that to say this, it has put a bunch of plates in the air, many of which they needed to be in the air. Do they need to stay there? Uh, no. So 65 hit. Well, let's go back. So the personal, the personal issues dealt with it, faced it, processed it, grieved about it, but it's not my decision. Somebody else, it's they're living their life. It's not in a way that is beneficial for them or anybody else, but people, we can do what we want to do. And so I had to come to terms and come to the decision, okay. I mean, what am I going to do about it? I can't live somebody's life for them. And even if I could, I shouldn't. So. And that took some time. Okay, so that was a plate that spun for a good long while. Now you get to 65 and you qualify for Medicare. And so you got this plate that's spinning as you're preparing and trying to figure out, okay, what, what is that? What is this going to mean? I mean, how do I navigate this? I've never done this before. So wait a minute. I'm looking at this insurance thing and that insurance thing and trying to figure out how this thing works and trying to figure out what the best decision is to make because you can make a decision that you're going to have to live with the rest of your life. So it's a big deal. This is a major plate to spin. However, once you make the decision, not that you can't go back and undo some things and redo some things, but mostly the big part of the plate spinning, once you go through that process, which for us was months, okay, kind of done. Is it completely out of sight, out of mind? No, but it's not anywhere near the intensity of plate spinning that you had to do when you first started. And so it's kind of a mission accomplished thing. Social security, much, much easier. So you just have to know, okay, when do I hit what the government calls full retirement age? Full retirement age has benefits, most of which is, okay, you kind of sort of max out what you can collect and there's income earning and there's taxation issues, but it's not, I, I don't think it's all that complicated. And so we figured out 
what that would be and made the decision. This is probably the big one is making the decision. When will you collect social security? You can collect it as early as 62. Now I'm not talking about disability. I'm talking about retirement. You can collect it at 62 and you're not going to collect near as much as if you wait until you hit full retirement and full retirement is not 66 and a half for everybody. For me and Rhonda, because we were born in the year 1957, for both of us, when we hit 66 and a half, which for me was November of last year, and for Rhonda, it was December of last year because we're a month apart, then you qualify to collect kind of the maximum amount. Ah, but there's a caveat. You could wait. You could wait until you're 70. And at 70, you max out. And it will increase, I believe, annually 8% from full retirement age to 70. So from 66 and a half to 70, whatever that percentage increase is, we would have made it a, a little bit more if we would have waited until we were 70. So you do have some decisions to make, mostly 62, full retirement age, or do we wait until we're 70? We decided full retirement age, we think, is the wisest choice for us, so that's a plate that you spend for, again, you spend that plate for a few months as you're looking at this and investigating and crunching numbers and spreadsheet and things like I do, and you make a decision. And now I take that plate down. I'm not even trying to spend that plate anymore. But now along the way, coupled with that now, some personal stuff. So, okay, you're going to sell a house and you move into an apartment and then you end up buying a house in another state. And you got an awful lot of other stuff, just life stuff, nothing dramatic, just stuff, a lot of stuff. And then now we haven't even addressed the professional stuff. So now let's look at the career and we got stuff and then we got some more stuff and then we got some more stuff. And oh, by the way, we're, we're really been, been shifting. I've been saying this for too stinking long, you know, just really kind of going all in on city serving people in city government. And so you got a little bit of transition stuff going on and, oh, and now let, let's, well, let's add some spiritual stuff to it. Cause that's for me, really the elephant in the room. And there's always that because, well, in a word, sin, <laughs> there's always that because there's sin versus righteousness. There's self-control or temperance as the Bible calls it versus us being selfish and just doing what we want. And so there's this constant ongoing battle with all of that. And then there's sure there's not just personal as far as family and just life events and selling houses and practical minimalism and selling some things and donating some things. And then there's relationship things that, that start first and foremost with family and for me and Rhonda, it starts with us, starts with marriage, and then it goes out from there, and then it, it encompasses then friends. I mean, life is complex. Like I got to tell you, life is very, very complex. And so I began to look at this as I began to feel my frustrations mount because I, I ended up telling Rhonda a long, long time ago, I, I'm just, I am. I am absolutely spinning plates and I hate spinning plates. I don't mind having multiple irons in the fire 
but I want irons to stay in the fire long enough to get hot enough to do something of value. And I don't feel like I'm doing that. I feel like instead I'm spinning plates and spinning plates is way different than irons in a fire and being patient as those irons heat up and doing what you can to get them hotter so that they can be useful. Way different. It's just a way different activity. And I haven't been doing the latter. I've been doing the former and I don't like it. I don't like it one little bit. So I sat down and I started examining, okay, here's something that's happening in my life. I can't do anything. I can't do anything to change that circumstance. So now how are we going to deal with that? What are we going to do with that? And then you got these other circumstances that, okay, we got this circumstance happening. I can do something about that. Do I want to do something about that? Should I do something about that? And what should I do? Can I do something to make that better? Can I do something to remedy that? Can I do something to mitigate that? Can I do something to eliminate that? And if so, what? And then we've got just a host of other things that could, come on. Here's the, here's the real, real big point. We are all dependent, not just on circumstances, but we're dependent on other humans. I see it all the time, especially from agnostic and atheist folks. You know, so you're telling me that there's a God and we, we've got all these kids worldwide starving and we got these people suffering this and we got these people suffering that. We got these people. Yes, we do. You, Mr. or Miss Atheist or Agnostic, want to blame God for that. But you forget that the planet is occupied by a few billion people. Not all of them holy. Not all of them righteous. Not all of them doing the right thing. Not all of them provoked by wisdom. Many of them provoked by selfishness and greed and a lot of evil. There's a lot of evil. And there's evil in all of us. And some of us on the planet have completely surrendered to our evil. And as a result, we have a real negative impact on the world. And collectively, an even bigger negative impact on the world. And oh, by the way, there are also just circumstances that happen. Life happens and death happens. Weather happens. Natural events happen. The world is put in motion and it goes in motion. And sometimes we experience floods and sometimes we experience drought. Sometimes we experience cold as in the winter and sometimes we experience heat as in the summer and the seasons happen. And to put that all at the foot of God, well, is to miss the point and to miss the point of God's love and grace and mercy and the fact that he gave us a savior because you do understand it ain't about living here forever. It's about living here well enough, faithful enough, loyal enough to God, the creator so that we can live with him in his home, heaven forever. Well, now that just changes everything. So I'm breaking plates. 
I'm taking some plates down and some plates are plates that just like the Medicare and the Social Security, I needed to spin them, but I just needed to spin them for, for a while and then take them down because it's, it's done. It's over. Task completed. And now focus on the next thing. I'm at an age where I don't mind telling you, I'm wanting to do fewer things and I'm wanting to do those fewer things well, like really, really well. I'm wanting to coach fewer people, but I'm wanting to coach them really well. And then there's podcasting. You know, there's this. I mean, I missed a week. I might have missed two. You know, but between just between all the plates, it's just it's just hard. It's hard. You and I both know this. We find the time for what matters to us. And my biggest frustration is in the past in the past number of months, I have not been able well correction. I have not disciplined myself to do and spend the time doing the things that matter most to me because there's just been too much urgency, too much firefighting, and I'm just tired of it. I'm really, really tired of it. You tired of it? You tired of not being able to take something from start to finish? I am. If you think it's magically going to change, you're wrong. If you believe deep, deep down like I do that there's something that you can do about it, you're right. And now the question is, what are we going to do? We've got to figure this out. And what I do may not be what you do, but together let's try to figure this out. Think about those things that matter to you most. And you may find that the things that matter to you most are not the things where you're spending most of your time. And only you can change that. Only I can change that. I'm making up my mind right here, right now, that the things that matter most are going to be the things that I'm going to give more time to. Now, I can be a person of some absolutes when it comes to things like this in that, well, okay, I'll cut that back. I'm not interested. I'm interested in eliminating the plates that I just flat don't want to spin anymore. You do you. I'll do me. My name's Randy Cantrell. Website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. <laughs>